This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. The snow glows white on the mountain tonight. Not a footprint to be seen, a kingdom of isolation. And it looks like I'm the queen or king. The wind is howling like a swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in. Heaven knows I've tried. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you've always had to be. Concealed, don't feel, don't let them know. Well, now they know. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Let it go. Let it go. Turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The, anyone? Cold never bothered me anyway. Right, right. For those, for those of you who have uh, little kids, yeah, thank you, thank you. You have, um, you've maybe heard the song um, a thousand plus times, and, and you've heard it sung even more than that by those you love and who would, you'd like to tape shut their mouths at times from the back seat. Let it go, let it go. Uh, a famous now song from Disney's movie Frozen. I thought about that as I was preparing this morning's message because in many ways, the theme of the text of our study this morning is let it go, let it go. It's a theme that not only is in our text of study this morning, but it's a theme that you and I will continually, repeatedly live over the course of our lives. The idea of letting things go is central to what it means to be human. It's a story that we will all live in various shapes and various forms throughout the course of our life. It's even present in like the sports that we play. I was reminded of this the other day as uh, our softball team was getting beat for one of the 10 times this year. I don't remember which one, but I ran, I was pitching, I ran forward to get a ball that was right out in front of the plate. And I threw it to our first baseman and I held on just a little bit too long. If you've ever done that as you've thrown a ball, I threw it right into the ground right in front of me. <laughs> and I just wanted to announce I'm a moron. Don't know when to let it go. Don't know when to let it go. Now there's a letting go of physical things that we'll all go through. And then emotionally, we journey in life in these seasons where God has us let go. Uh, this week, we had the opportunity to send my oldest son, Ethan, off to kindergarten. He was really, really excited. Um, my daughter, Avery, not quite as excited. <laughs> I took, I've got to be honest, one of those dad fail moments, but I took way more pictures of Avery crying as Ethan got on the bus than I did of Ethan actually getting on the bus. <laughs> This is part of the journey we're in right now, though. Um, letting go, just little bits, little pieces, not all at once. We'll do this over the next 13, 14 years where we eventually let him go. It's a part of life, letting go. It's a part of life that if we're really honest with each other, we don't do very well, do we? Because letting go means change. Letting go means Difficult seasons of life. Some of us have had to let go of loved ones who we deeply care about. Others have had to say goodbye to kids, that, and it just broke their heart. 
Others have had to walk away from a job or they've been let go from a job and, and they're in this journey. You're in this journey right now of trying to figure out what it looks like to let go. It's not easy, is it? But I would affirm to you it's central to being human, one. And, and secondly, it's absolutely essential to following Jesus. You cannot Follow the way of Jesus if you're unwilling to hold the things that you have with an open hand. It's not just difficult, it's impossible. It's impossible. Because here's what Jesus invites you to. He invites you not just to a profession of faith where you pray a sinner's prayer, sign your name on some card that somebody gives you and says, now you're saved. He invites you to be a disciple. And a disciple is a learner. An apprentice, literally, is what it means, a student, to be under, sit under the teaching and the way of Jesus and to start to live in the way that he lived. You see, a disciple is somebody who's continually letting go, who's trading inferior ways of believing and living for superior ones. A disciple is one who, when they hear the voice of Jesus, as they study the scriptures and his spirit's alive in them, they're willing to say, all right, God, I didn't see that coming, but I'm willing to let that go and go with you. It's essential. It's what we're going to see in our passage of study this morning, is that letting go of our preconceived convictions, our beliefs at times, our ways of being and living and operating the world, letting go of those things is essential to following the way of Jesus. In the passage we're going to study today, we're going to read about two different visions. We're going to see two different stories that, that, that are going to intersect at some point in our time together this morning. Two visions. One is of a Roman man, and he's called to let some things go. The other vision is of the Apostle Peter, whom we followed at various points in our study of the book of Acts. It's amazing to me. Peter walked with Jesus. Peter talked with Jesus. Peter laughed with Jesus. Taught with Jesus was taught by Jesus. Three years he spent in pretty close proximity to Jesus. And Jesus comes to him in the passage we're going to look at this morning and says, Peter, let it go. Let it go. Could it be possible? I'm just going to throw it out there. Could it be possible? And I know we're sophisticated and I know we're studied and I know we've, we've gone back and forth and we, we know the scriptures, but is it possible that maybe, just maybe God would be inviting us this morning to, to let some things go? See, here's what's easy for me. I read a story, I study a story like this and I go, you know who needs to let it go? They do. Right? I got a list in my mind. Here's who needs to let it go, and here's exactly what they need to let go. I just wish they'd come ask me. So for the next, um, for the next 25 minutes, can I invite you to not think about somebody else, but to just think about you for a moment? Are the things God would want to do in, in you, in us, that we might more fully follow after him. Acts chapter 10. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. We're going to read some sort of beefy chunks of scripture this morning. They're not going to be up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, um, please follow along 
as we read. If you don't have a Bible at all, we'd love to give you one. Just come chat with me afterwards. Chapter 10, starting in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. And Cornelius was a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Just a quick time out. Um, this is describing for us his, not only his ethnicity, but his profession. He's a Roman man. He leads a Roman army. He's in charge of about 100 people. His job is to, in the region of Caesarea, to put down insurrections that are going to rise up, to potentially crucify some people if they get out of line to make a point. His job is keep the quote-unquote peace, okay? That's his role. He's a fairly politically powerful man. And what we're gonna see in the next few verses is this beautiful collision of his politics and his faith. Listen to the way it continues. He's a Roman, a devout man who feared God with all his household, And he gave alms generously to all the people, and he prayed continually to God. (laughs) Now, this was not typical. This was not the norm, to have a politically powerful Roman soldier come to appreciate and acknowledge the faith of probably what they're referring to as the Jewish people. An acknowledgement of the one God in a system that he came from. This was completely polytheistic. He's going, there's, there's one God. Not only is there one God, but I'm going to pray to him and I'm going to worship him and I'm going to give generously to the people around me. I mean, he starts to, God starts to prick his heart and call him to himself. Listen to the way the story goes on. And about the ninth hour of the day, it's about three o'clock, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of, the, of God come to him and say, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? I mean, this isn't your precious moments, angel, right? <laughs> Terrified Roman soldier, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. You know, next line from Cornelius is, great, get away from me then, Right? No business here. And now, send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who's called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now, just just another quick timeout. I know I don't have time to do this all throughout, but isn't this just divinely hilarious that you have Simon Peter bunking up with Simon the tanner a vision giving to men, go walk the 31 miles and bring back Simon, but don't bring back the wrong Simon. Because the messages they deliver are very different, right? Simon the tanner comes and he's like, God says you have a message for us. Well, um, when you're tanning an animal, you stretch it out as why, right? You don't want that message. So God's like, all right, make sure it's Peter, And when the angel who spoke of him departed, he called two of his servants, a devout soldier from among them who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And we see this politically powerful man with extreme influence starting to have his heart pricked by the Holy Spirit and eventually he will be led to give his life and faith to Jesus And God starts to pry out of his hands the things that he holds very dearly. One word. 
power. It's what he's built on. It's what his systems built on. And as God starts to work in his heart, he starts to use his power differently. He starts to release it and use it not just to lord it over people, but to serve people with it. It's this beautiful letting go and walking into one of the central things that it means to follow in the way of Jesus. We use our influence, followers of Jesus, they use their influence not to climb another rung on the ladder at work or not to assert their superiority in their families, but they use their influence for the betterment of those around them. Jesus taught about this in Mark chapter 10. Listen to what he says. It says, and Jesus called them to him and said, this is his disciples, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. Now, Cornelius is a ruler, the Gentiles. And their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be among you. Whoever would be great among you would be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even, Jesus says, even the Son of Man, he says, even I didn't come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. I read this story last week. I love Stories about mountain climbing and just the the adventure and the pursuit that's involved. I read a story about a man named David Sharp, who on May 15th of 2006 was summiting Everest and he was climbing down and he started to get fatigued and the people who were with him continued to go down the mountain and he hid in one of these caves that's up there. It's called the Green Boots Cave. It's called the Green Boots Cave because uh, back in uh, 96, somebody with green boots died in that cave. Not a creative name, but one that's descriptive nonetheless. David Sharp, he was in this cave. And it was right along the trail, and as people walked by, they heard him. They saw him. And they walked by. The documents are that at least 40 people walked by David Sharp. And as they started to ask people, well, why did you walk by? Why did you just leave him? Why why didn't you help? The honest answer that most of the people gave was this. We trained for almost a year. It cost us 25 grand to climb this mountain. And we weren't going to stop to help somebody because it was too costly. I thought about that. I I thought about the life that Cornelius lived before he started to get introduced to Jesus. It's a life where nobody would have faulted him for saying, I walked by. I walked by to better myself. I walked by because my career was at stake. I walked by because that just isn't the way we do this in the Roman Empire. I just had to, in a sense, walk by but he doesn't. He starts to have this release, this release of I'm gonna use power to suppress and control to I'm gonna use influence to serve and build up. I wonder, have you had the same letting go in your life? 
Are there any ways that maybe we hold on to influence and we hold on to power? And maybe God would say, will you use that? Not, not, just, not just give it up completely, but will you let go of the ideal you have in your head and use it differently? I love that Cornelius doesn't say, well, now that I'm a Christian, I gotta leave the Roman army. No way. He stays in. And that's harder, friends, isn't it? It's easier, way easier to just get the Christian click and say, we're just gonna hang out there and we're only gonna talk to them and we're only gonna do that. He says, no. I think what God's inviting me to is to follow the way of Jesus in this Roman army. Just a quick side note. In both of these visions, you're gonna see the centrality that prayer plays in having a vision for what God would invite you to in your life. I just want to propose, sort of anecdotally, as a side note, that that's the way he still works. So, vision number one, Roman man Cornelius. Letting go, number one, a complete and total political reimagining where power is not used any longer to suppress and control, but influence is used to build up and to better. Vision number two. The next day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, these are the people that Cornelius sends out. Peter went up on the household about the sixth hour. This is about um, noon to pray. And he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. Now that's hungry, right? I mean, I'm starving, get me a sandwich. And a few minutes later, he's in a trance, right? That's, he's really hungry. And he saw the heavens open up and something like a great sheet descending and being let down by all four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals, reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat, verse 14. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Can I just say, it gives me a little bit of solace that even after Peter has many of his blunders as he's with Jesus, that he doesn't stop right? I'll never betray you, Lord. Oh, by the time the, the crow, 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 three times, you're going to betray me three times. No, not me, right? Um, oh, Lord, you know, Peter always just, he's, he only takes his foot out of his mouth to put his other foot in. And even after Jesus rises from the dead, he hears the voice of God. He goes, you know what I think? I think you're playing a trick on me, God. I think I'm being punked here. And so I'm going to pass this test, I'm going to pass the test. No, I know. I am not supposed to eat the animals that are being lowered down in front of me. See, there's three types of law in the Old Testament. There was moral law, which we still hold to today, right and wrong. There was what we call civil law, which was the way that the nation of Israel was invited by God to operate nationalistically. Those laws are are no longer in effect for those who follow Jesus. And there was ceremonial law. Ways that you were made clean, ways that you washed your hands in order to get ready for worship, ways that you sacrificed animals in order um, to uh, worship God. There were things that you ate and things that you didn't eat. And so when Jesus comes to Peter and says, all of that's fair game, pun intended, fair game now, 
he goes, no, 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 no. This is a trick, and I know it is. And we're going to see that this vision from God for Peter is about two things. One, it's about the way that he interacts with everybody around him. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And two, it's about the way that he interacts with God. Ironically, it has very little to do with what he eats. It has far more to do with the way that he looks at his redeemer, his creator, and his savior. You see, this vision for Peter is an invitation from God to release religion and to embrace grace. This vision before it, Peter thought, the way that he was right before God was by the things that he isolated from and himself from, the holiness that he could gather and he could gain, the things that he could check along the side of the list, did eat that, didn't eat that, did worship this way, did pray at this time, and God goes, come on, come on, come on, come on. The way that I'm interacting with you now is way different than that, Peter, and I know you walked with me three years, Peter. And I know, Peter, that I commissioned you and I laid my hands on you and I said, I'm gonna build my church on you. And Peter, in order to do that, I need you to let it go. I need you to let go of that system of interacting with me. The conviction that you're holy based on what you keep yourself from. Peter, come on, you're holy based on what I did for you on the cross and that alone, period, done. And can you imagine how difficult this is for Peter? How unbelievably difficult it is for him to reimagine everything he thinks about God, everything he thinks about him. For we're made right by the things we keep ourselves from and the things that we do and the things that we accomplish too. We're simply made right by what Jesus has already done, period. I know so many Christians who can't let that go. They hold on to this view of God. God, I'm made right and I'm made holy by what I isolate myself from and what I don't do. And God, I'm made right and I'm made holy by the things that I don't do that I see other people doing. And there's this tier, God, and I know there's this tiering system and I'm at the top of it because, and I think God says, hey, would you let it go? What Jesus did on the cross is completely sufficient. Done. And as much as we want to hold on to this legalistic way of interacting with God, he says, let it go. The law of love trumps the law of ceremony and cleansing. In fact, in fact, Jesus would go so far as to say, I'm going to fly through a lot of these. Uh, We're going to baptize people today, so that's why. But Jesus goes so far as to say, a new commandment or a new law I give you that you should love one another. Just as I have loved you, you're also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It appears that this is the new and the supreme law, the new ethic The new way of interacting not only with God, but with the world around us. And what Jesus says is, they will know that you are Christians by the way that you refrain from eating certain things. 
No, that's not what he said, Peter, right? They will know that you are Christians by the sacrifices that you bring. Nope, still not it. They'll know you are Christians by the movies you avoid watching. Nope, or by the movies you make. Nope. They'll know you are Christians by the way that you love. It's the new law. It's the new command. And you see, Peter understood the gospel. He just didn't understand its scope. He knew God was good. He just didn't know how good. He didn't know how far. We sing that song, and I mean, I just start to weep, where we say, and we're welcomed home. He didn't know how far that welcome went. Because there was people in his mind where it goes, all right, where Peter went, all right, well, it goes at least as far as me. (laughs) So let's draw this circle, but it can't get too far outside of that circle. I mean, come on, God. Are there ways that maybe Jesus would invite you and I today to embrace this new law? The law of love, the law of grace, the law of welcome, the invitation. to know his goodness so fully that we say there's no one outside the bounds. I see in the book of Acts these these sort of linchpins, these hinges of this book, where if these things didn't happen, we maybe don't sit here today. This is one of those linchpins. If Peter's unable to be teachable, if he's unwilling to let it go and to learn, if he's unwilling to say, God, I will follow you even into that, even though it seems absolutely crazy and contrary to what you taught your followers to do in the past, and it was, if he was unwilling to say that, we maybe don't sit here. So there's a few empty seats around you. I wonder, I wonder, who might need you to embrace that same type of vision? To say back to God, God, this is all grace and all mercy, and there's nobody that's outside the bounds of this reach. It says that Peter was, verse 17, inwardly complexed. I love this. And he hears the doorbell ring. I'll summarize for a second. He hears the doorbell ring. They knock on it as he's having this vision. Are you kidding me? I mean, at this point in time, Peter's got to go, I either ate some really, really, really bad pita or God, you're in this. Right? And he journeys with them and he goes to the house of Cornelius, picking up in verse 23. He invited them in, Cornelius did, to be his guests. And the next day he rose and he went away with them and some brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea and Cornelius was expecting them and he called them together, his relatives and his close friends. So he gets this, this party going with all the people that he knows that he wants to be an influence to. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and he fell down at his feet and he worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. I love the way that you see in this very short passage here, two of our erroneous approaches to people. One, we tend to put them on a pedestal and worship them. And two, we tend to walk right over them. 
I love the way that John Stott puts it. He says, Peter refused to be treated like a god, and he refused to treat Cornelius like a dog. And when Peter entered, um, he he fell down, he picked him up, verse 27, and as he talked with them, he went in and he found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Just a quick time out. This was not the law of God. This was the tradition of man imposed upon the people of God. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. A little bit of revisionistic history. Sort of read about three objections, but we'll just let it go, Peter. We'll let it go. And I ask then why you have sent for me. So Peter has this idea in his head. There's some people I can interact with and there's some people I can't. There's some people that I can get close to and there's some people I can't. There's some people where if they invite me over to dinner, I have to categorically say no. And I definitely couldn't invite them over for dinner. And there's some people that I can say yes. Most likely the people that look like me, talk like me, eat like me, think like me, smell like me, they just reflect me back to me. Those are the people that I can interact with. Those are the people that I can love. And he lost sight somewhere along the way, the Jewish people lost sight that their mission was to be a light to the world, not just to themselves. And you see, part of the human sinful condition is that we find things that are unique about our group, our people. People that look like us, think like us, act like us, talk like us, fill in the blanks, go on and on and on. We find things that are unique about, quote unquote, our group, and we use them to define us, and we use them to, let's be honest, elevate ourselves. And in doing so, what we do is we dehumanize people that don't have some of those same characteristics. Aren't you glad that this is finally over in our world? I mean, unless you've been living in a cave, you've heard about what's been going on in Ferguson, Missouri, where an 18-year-old African-American man was shot six times by a police officer. And regardless of what you you say about that, and and we'll we'll wait till all the details are released, some of them are known and they're they're not great. It's pretty ugly. National Guard called in, ugly. People shot ugly. I mean, as followers of Jesus, we have to lament this. We have to lament it. And it reminds us that as much as we'd love to think that we're beyond the bounds of what God addresses in Peter, I'll say it like this, as much as I'd love to think I'm beyond the bounds of what God addresses in Peter, he still pokes at my soul about the same thing. And the things that unite us as human beings are far, far, far greater than the little things that we can section off and say these things are different and we're better because of X, Y, and Z. And so here's God's invitation to Peter. Release pride and walk in love. I think he poses this question, Peter, what's more important, being right or being love? 
What's more important, being right or being light? Peter, what's more important? That my gospel would go forward or that you would wash your hands right and that you would eat the right kind of food and avoid the wrong kind of food. And he makes it really clear in verse 28. He says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with any of you or to even visit. And he goes, that's what this vision was really about. This vision was really about my approach to God one and my approach to everybody else as well. And you see, evangelistic hospitality is just at the heart of what it means to follow the way of Jesus. We go and we're invited if we can make it. We invite widely. I love that Peter's welcome of Cornelius as he shows up in his house, catch this, precedes his transformation in being a follower of Christ. His showing up precedes Cornelius saying, I'm going to follow the way of Jesus. That's the way the passage ends, though is Peter lays out the gospel. He says, well, I guess God must have me here because he wants you to know a few things. He wants you to know that Jesus is Lord solely. He wants you to know that Jesus lived perfectly. He wants you to know that Jesus died sacrificially. And he wants you to know that Jesus was resurrected providentially. And what he says in the next verse is this chunk of scripture that I'm gonna summarize here is Jesus is what we're all about. It's not about what we eat and what we don't. It's not about what we avoid or who we avoid and who we don't. It's about the name of Jesus being lifted high. It's about the law of love being embraced and lived by people who follow in the way of Jesus. It's about letting go of the things that we shackle ourselves with in order to follow after him. And so in the great equalizer, in the great equalizer, here's what Jesus invites us to. See, the gospel invites us to let go and to rely on Jesus alone. I pray that we would, friends. Here's this beautiful picture. So you have this Roman man who gets a vision and he's invited, let it go. You have this religious man who gets his vision and he's invited, let it go. You have both of these men as their visions coincide like a Quentin Tarantino movie and they blow up and they're like, wow, we should let it go together and follow the way of Jesus together. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Two men, a Roman pagan previously and a religious zealot walking together in the way of love and the way of Jesus. And Cornelius goes, I got a question. What should we do next? What should we do next? Peter gives him this answer. Be baptized. That's the, that's the picture. That's the public declaration that you're following the way of Jesus. As you go down in the water, it's a picture of your life before Jesus, dead in transgression and sin, as the book of Ephesians would say. And as you raise up, it's this beautiful invitation of God that we've been buried with Christ through death and raised to walk in the newness of life. So we're gonna celebrate baptism this morning.
If you are one of our few in this service being baptized, um, Eva's coming up and she'll meet you right at those doors over there. And she'll help you out, her and Janet will. So as we start to, as I close in prayer, you can hop up and do that. Um, If you aren't on the quote-unquote list, um, we really believe that God's list is way better than ours. So we're, and we sort of believe that across the board. We try to practice it. It's a good theology to have. Um, And so if you're not on the quote-unquote list to be baptized this morning, can I invite you even now Um, You can, if you are following Jesus, if you've put your faith in him, just like we read about in this passage this morning, if you're willing to let go and say, God, all of me for all of you, we would invite you just, you can go see Eva. We'll we'll hook you up with clothes to wear. We'll hook you up with hair dryers, with makeup. We want to take everything out of the way to make it possible for you to follow Jesus into baptism this morning if you'd like to. So as I invite our worship team back forward, they're gonna lead us in one last song this morning as we let our baptizees get ready. Let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, we long to be a people who hold really, really, really tightly to the right things. Lord, that we would hold tightly to being a people who serve and love those around us. That we would use our influence that you've given us to make the lives of others better. God, we hold tightly to the grace that we are found in, grounded in, and that your scriptures say we stand in today. We hold tightly to that. And Jesus, we hold tightly to the law of love that you've invited us to walk in with our fellow brothers and sisters and with the world that you've placed us in. And Jesus, the things that we need to let go of in order to follow you fully, if you need to, would you pry them out of our hands this morning? God, we wanna be the type of people who are willing to let go of some things we've previously believed and thought and felt and acted in and walked in in order to fully follow after you, King Jesus, because it's all about you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.